I'm starting something new, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm apparently going to be a neuroscientist. But I don't know how to be a professional researcher. Sure, they've told me what a neuron is, but what about everything else? How do I do this? How do I achieve success? How do I even define success? How do people stay motivated to even stay late in the lab, stay inspired to do more experiments, and stay happy when those fail? I think, I think this can help. Here, with you, I can ask those questions. I can learn from the people around me through their stories. Here, I can learn and explore the motivations of my friends, the challenges of my colleagues, and the emotions of my mentors. So, I'm calling this Science and Feelings. I'm Caleb Sponheim. I'm starting with my friends, the people that know me best and who are most willing to open up about their exciting and challenging lives. My friend Grace is a second-year graduate student, just like me. What you'll hear is a conversation with a person who has accomplished so much in her short life, yet still struggles with doubts about her own abilities and potential for success. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Grace and stick around for more conversations to come. I'm Grace. I'm from um, Westchester, New York. It's about 40 minutes north of the city. I went to school in Boston, and now I'm at University of Chicago studying biology. And I don't know. What else do I do? <laughs> how, how, how do you describe the, like, when you're at a cocktail party full of people that aren't scientists? Like, how do you describe what type of scientist you are? Um, I'm a biologist, and so I follow up with a question because usually they just leave it there. <laughs> um, and I followed up, and one person would be like, but what type of biology do you do? I was like, oh, actually, I'm a developmental biologist. Mm. So I look at how things develop and grow. Um, and in particular, I'm actually studying octopus arm regeneration. So I'm learning that in an adult system, how are you able to regrow something and relay down those developmental patterns? Given given that area, and I know that I know it's early for you, but like, what question is your research asking today? So, um, so I work for Cliff Ragsdale, who's a developmental neurobiologist, mm -hmm. and um, fortunately for me. Um, he and I are both interested in the same kind of question, which is in an octopus arm, you essentially have this axial nerve cord, which is the equivalent of a human spinal cord. It's able to uh, integrate sensory information and output motor inf like input like outputs mm -hmm. and essentially control each of its each eight, each of the eight arms is controlled independently. And so okay. that is an amazing like like just like feet of nature, but also <laughs> um, this nerve cord regrows when the arm regenerates. Um, and so that is repairing neurons, generating new neurons, and having all of those neurons target correctly to the chromatophores, to the muscles, to, and, and so basically it's the idea of why can octopus 
regenerate this many neurons. And there's no other, there's no other real model system that you can ask that question in. Right. Um, particularly because it then gets integrated into a central nervous system. The octopus has a very developed, you know, three-lobed brain that is yeah. capable of making a lot of really complex decisions and... Mm -hmm. And so if each of those arms is not only able to regenerate, but also fully integrate, it provides a lot of really cool, like, you know, in the future therapeutic options. If you can figure out how are these neurons being regenerated, how are they repairing neurons and how are they retargeting? Describe. So I know what, like, you've been doing the past couple of weeks, but like, what excites you most about your science, like, today? Is it, is it like analysis? Is it collection? Is it like building the experiment is it like communicating with people like i know your day-to-day -day right now is like building this giant apparatus to house all of your octopuses and so, so i would like to healthy. say that yesterday i got it fully running no yo leaks. all right and Good job. um and so i'm i'm very excited about it yeah. um in theory if it continues to run as it should mm -hmm. i might be able to put octopus in it and not this week but the next one um cool which would be great. That's earlier than you thought? Way earlier than I yeah. thought. Yeah, I thought it was going to take me about three months. And so I've done it in five weeks. Oh, my God. That's crazy. <laughs> Classic race. <laughs> so you're excited about that? Yeah, so I'm really excited. So, yeah, yesterday was a really good day because I started my morning by doing some amputations. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kicked off. So you follow them for six weeks. Mm -hmm. That's the – all my biochem – friends and my biophysics friends are like oh i spent four hours today and i you know did this experiment and now i have a figure for my paper and i'm like cool i spent four hours today chopping off arms and, <laughs> and um, i gotta wait and six weeks i'll see if the experiment worked and it probably won't and then i'll have to do it again <laughs> yeah but um yeah so yesterday i got st i started off i did um a mini experiment where i'm trying to see does it matter how far up the arm I cut? Does it regenerate mm -hmm. faster if it's at the tip or at the, um, you know, at the top? Um, and so that's like kind of a basic, basic thing. And then um, we can keep the amputated arms alive for about two months oh, for tissue culture. Um, okay. Yeah. So well, you know, it's good. Uh, and so I, I I kept all my amputated arms. Um, Cute. And uh, I'm trying to replicate that that experiment right now. And so I'm feeling, and my system's up and running. So I'm feeling like things are looking up, yeah. which was good because I started yesterday almost crying because my system was leaking and I couldn't <laughs> find the leak. And then by the end of the day, I was like, I'm a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> so that like represents the emotional roller coaster that scientists go through sometimes. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. The social dynamic in the lab, right? So, like, yes. not just your boss, but, like, everyone else in the lab. What is yes. that? Everyone else in the lab, which is me uh -huh. and an undergrad. <laughs> which is different in what way from, like, other, in, like, lab environments you've been in? Yeah, so we don't have a lab tech and we don't have a lab manager. Okay. Um, and which, what do those usually yeah. do? And those are two, those are two people who help keep the science going. Yeah. And so the lab manager is the one who's going to make sure that all of the supplies is there. They're checking expiration dates. They're making it so that when you want to run a mini prep, like your mini prep kit is up to date, has all the solutions, like yeah. everything's fine. 
And um, we don't have one of those. And so that means that I have to stay on top of it. So you mentioned that you weren't always interested in marine biology. Yes. Were you always interested in science growing up? I had an amazing biology teacher in high school. In high school. Okay. Yes. But before that. I mean, I like to learn things. I was a double major in college, so I was a biology and a history major. Yeah. And I wrote biology and history PhD applications. <laughs> um, I only ended up sending the biology ones, but like okay. all the way up until, you know, September of my senior year, I was I was debating where I was going to go and what I was going to do. Wow. Um, and, and, and I feel like I just really like information. I like understanding how things work, but I also like understanding the why and the like the intentions behind things. Um, mm -hmm. And I was a food historian, so I studied um, culture essentially through food. And right. I did colonial uh, history, which allowed me to kind of figure out how cultures in the colonies were interacting and clashing and yeah and and actually, had an amazing 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 time and my thesis was awesome and on an <laughs> 1840s french cookbook and talked That's about so like the french british and native populations in canada and how they were all interacting yeah though this is you know not a history podcast um <laughs> but uh but yeah so i feel like and i and i loved it and i thought it was great and yeah. um and, and, and in biology, I just, I happened to, to stumble upon some really great mentors, which I also had really great mentors in mm. history, which also made it difficult. But um, right. but my biology have... teacher in high school was uh, like, like your dream teacher okay. um, and was so, was one of those people who demanded respect, but in a way of just like by example um okay. not in the like you're gonna listen to me because i know what i'm talking about and everyone knew if you took miss lee's biology class it was going to be really hard mm. but you were going to learn a lot and um and and she was always very upfront with us about everything and and i think i think that that really sparked biology and mm. i ended up taking my honors biology with her and then ap biology with her and then um, she wrote one of my letters for college, and I was like, I'm going to study biology in college because I was going to be a forensic scientist. Um, and then I Whoa. decided that I was not going to be a forensic scientist and um, <laughs> ended up uh, doing some research. And I went to Northeastern for undergrad. And yeah. one of the big things that they do there is co-op. And so you do these six-month-long right. internships where you actually get to try what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and so when I, I left that six months, um, I had been emailing a professor that I'd actually taken a class with on campus, um, and I hadn't done well in that class. And um, and I was like, but I tried, and also like I care, I care, and I and I just repeatedly emailed James until he yeah. responded and was like, yeah, sure, fine, and. Um, and I don't think he quite knew what he was agreeing to when he did it. But um, I came back and I, you know, walked into his office and was like, all right, what can I do? And he gave me a project to mm -hmm. work with a grad student. And um, the grad student didn't have a lot of time for me, um, okay. which was unfortunate. Um, but I just like showed up to lab every single day 
regardless of whether or not she had told me to be there or she had time for me or possibly and just like followed everybody else in the lab if they didn't mind and so i'd just be like hey do you mind if i just follow you while you're doing this thing like oh hey do you mind and i actually just adopted a new project (laughs) with a different person (laughs) that just happened to be there and like willing to like take the time and answer all my questions and um and so i just uh integrated myself in that lab through sheer dumb force. (laughs) Um, But he was actually working on regeneration. And that is where my new, like, oh, wow, this is the coolest thing I've ever done, like, (laughs) love came from. And so he worked on salamanders, the axolotl salamander, um, which is the classic vertebrate regeneration model they can regenerate every part of their body that we know of and i have to say we know of but we also have tried most of the parts of their body um (laughs) and how would how how would you like if you were to describe what an axolotl looks like to your grandma what would you how would you describe it i would say imagine a lizard-like thing it's yeah. a, but it's a salamander, so there's no scales, and it's you know kind of got gooey frog-like skin. Yeah. And um, imagine it's got really wild hair, because <laughs> their gills are ridiculous. They've got these oh, giant yeah. gills that go around their face that are red. Sure. Um, but yeah, no. So they have this like giant red mane of hair like around <laughs> around their faces, and they're always smiling. <laughs> they they are the cutest creature. And, like, they, like, exist in these little tiny aquariums, and they come up to the side, and they're, like, looking at you, and you're just like, oh, my goodness, you're so cute. Now I'm going to knock you out and chop parts of your body off. <laughs> but, but, but they all regenerate, they so can, I don't they have come to feel back. bad. Audience, they come back. They come back. They're perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. And so, and so he was actually the one that started me on my my developmental kick yeah well he actually he's the one who taught my developmental neuro class which then made it so i did a developmental neuro Mm co-op and then when i came back i joined his regeneration lab and took a class with him called stem cells regeneration and then i worked with him all the way through to when i graduated i also did Mm -hmm. a six month stint at pfizer working on stem cells and differentiation and um but like and then i came to grad school and i tested out my developmental neuro and my regeneration loves and came back to regeneration and am now studying octopus arm regeneration. Wow. And that is why I'm back to being a marine biologist, <laughs> even though I had, I had no real, real plan to be. Yeah. Long meandering road back to something you already did. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, what's, what's interesting to me in that story is like, you're one of the most like motivated people I know. Like you, you've like self-actualized the hell out of like <laughs> most things you've done in your life, right? Uh, and I mean, I even just with the story you told, like there are infinite number of possibilities and directions you could have gone if you had chosen, right? You just would have like made it work and been amazingly successful, but you chose biology and science. Still, yes. Uh, I don't know. And you and you think that's that's because of that drive for like new knowledge? Like what what is it? Is it is it I mean you said you like learning. Yeah. But there are plenty of other things where that you could do that are easier. Yes. <laughs> that, that would allow you to learn every day. So 
why yeah. stick around? Why why do science? Um, I once had a lab TA describe me as exceedingly meticulous, and I feel like that is the reason why science is a really good place for me. <laughs> because yeah, unpack that a little bit. What because. Do you mean? First off, the word meticulous already in the definition has the word exceeding <laughs> in it. <laughs> like being meticulous is doing so- is being organized to an excess. Yeah. But I'm exceedingly meticulous. But I think I think honestly, I love to work, and and to do that you have to actually love what you're doing. And everyone always says like find what you love, and then find someone willing to pay you for it. Um, but I actually have found that. Not only do you have to find something you love, but you have to find something that you love so much that you're more than willing to put up with the mundane. Hmm. Um, Because every job's going to have something that's going to be not necessarily what you want. Um, For example, this week, I dumped five gallons of water on my head and was literally dripping. (laughs) And, like, that is not something that you, you know, necessarily want to do. Um, But... (laughs) But I did. And um, and in the end, I still was like, no, like I st- I'm going to work through being literally tripping because I have this really cool opportunity to do these really cool things. And I like doing things that other people say can't be done, probably because I'm really stubborn and mm. nothing makes me happier than getting to say that somebody was wrong. But <laughs> but also, I, I think. I think that there's there's something to be said for doing doing something that you don't necessarily know if it's going to work mm-hmm. and enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, being like, okay, I've crossed all my T's, I've dotted all of my I's, and it still didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a feeling there that can be hopeless but also incredibly exciting because if you really sat down and thought through everything that everyone thought existed and you come up with a different answer repeatedly, then what everyone's thinking is wrong. And that's really cool Mm. because you, and you have to come up with an argument that's airtight. Um, You know, there was a brief stint in my life where I was pre-law and, you know, arguing is something that you get down. And like, I think, I think that you have to be able to come up with an argument that's airtight and everyone who you're telling is wrong is going to be really defensive about it. So you have to say it when you're really sure. But I think that there's something really cool about going through something systematically and coming up with an answer and being like, well, you know, the Sherlock's home quote, that's like, when all like when you've ex- like excluded everything else, like what remains must be the truth. Like mm-hmm. no matter like how crazy it is, there's things in biology that I can do that other people couldn't mm. in a way that I didn't feel in in other classes or in other subjects or doing other things. Like I felt like I could do things there, and other people could do them too. And I feel mm-hmm. like where where I am in biology. I can do these things and I don't necessarily know if somebody else could do them. You're good at this. And that's, and that's like, you know, a little bit narcissistic, but also like 
every scientist has to be a little narcissistic. <laughs> I don't think that's narcissistic at all. You um, know what you're good at. You know your specialization. Yeah. And you have some idea that you're better than most at this thing. I don't think I. Th- th- that's the other thing, though. I feel like. I think that. I think that I have things I can bring to the table. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think that I'm like, I feel like, and it's that weird, it's that weird imposter syndrome life that we all lead. But it's like, I feel like, okay, I can do this thing and I'm going to be really good at it because I have this skill set and that's going to let me do these different things. And I also know that somebody else could approach the same problem in a different way and probably Mm. get the same answer or, and so... I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm better, but I think outside the box enough, um, and sometimes that screws you, um, but I think outside yeah. the box enough that I can think of creative ways out of a problem, and I think that's also one of the reasons why I'm in a system that's not your standard model system, answering questions that are not your standard questions, and doing things that most people don't have to do because they have lab managers that do their ordering and can go and pick up your box of fiddler crabs for you and <laughs> you know have a lab tech that can help you set up the system so you don't dump five gallons of water on your head and like and so like i feel like i think i think that there's also a little bit of my my life in science that's a little bit like i'm gonna do this and fuck all of you <laughs> <laughs> of course you know we all hope and dream of the day when our science makes it so that, you know, you, we've solved cancer and, you know, world hunger at the same time. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but I feel like, it, I mean, and I do a lot of work with the disabled community because um, mm-hmm. that's like my like volunteer passion. Yeah, because you have, you know, time out of work. Of the oh, of course, you, do. you know, yeah. Tuesday evenings are the only day that I leave work before eight because i have to make sure that i get downtown by 6 30 so i could teach swim lessons oh, grace <laughs> um, ah, you're an angel but um no yeah but i feel like i think uh those are the types of those are the types of things that you can really do with science and it's the things that when at least for me like when my code is failing or when I can't seem to come up with an idea or, you know, like the day-to-day emotional roller coaster. Yes. It's like, oh, I can still draw a line between like what I'm doing and like how it might help someone eventually. Right. And that, that more kind of ambiguous potential often I fall back on to like drive me when everything else is broken. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is in, in in these days are more often than not you know <laughs> so you know there's there's rough patches yeah that, that occur <laughs> nothing's worse than like i feel like everyone always wants like a napping couch on the floor i think like i think that there should be like like a very clear crying corner oh like yeah. tissues blanket armchair like snacks what do you think is the biggest challenge you've faced in kind of like, well, okay. Like there's two parts of this question. Like, what do you think is the biggest challenge you face kind of getting to this point? And then right now, 
what do you think is the biggest challenge in your work that you're facing moving forward? Um, that, okay. So I really struggled in classes this year. I, okay. I had some really, really, really bad experiences, um, which is not at all anything to do with University of Chicago or, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it just, I just, I, I, I did not thrive <laughs> in the U Chicago academic system. Um, I think that, I think that some of it came from my, my undergraduate education. My junior and senior years were pretty much entirely like paper and discussion based. I, it felt like I was coming in at such a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, fortunately for me, I had really good TAs and I actually ended up getting a tutor for one of my classes, which the university provided for free. And like, oh, wow. I like continued to like just show that I was putting in as much effort as I could. Um, and I, and I walked out with very good grades for the year. Yeah. Um, but like, I didn't feel successful a lot of the time even when mm. feedback was positive or like I just felt like such an idiot all of the time and there was no real break from that yeah and then the classes that I knew really well coming in I like felt like I didn't get as much out of them as I was hoping to so there was, so it was a, on one end or the other yeah so it, it was like, like really like devastating moment like mentally that I had in the winter quarter and then like became almost overwhelming in the spring quarter was all of the classes that I want to take as a fundamentals course are being taught at a detail level and so mm. like molecular bio 2 went into such extreme detail on things that I really needed the basics on, but I was expected to know the details. And then the uh, things that I wanted to know the details on were being taught at like a fundamental level. And, and that was, was infinitely frustrating. So I can safely assume that this upcoming stem cell class is not the biggest challenge you're worried about. No, 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 actually. Um, my biggest problem, the thing I'm, worried, I'm most worried about is I've done research full time on a six month time scale. And so mm. um, that's like where my, my, most of my experience comes from. And then of course I worked in James's lab at Northeastern, but that was around classes. And, and I mean, I still put 40 hours a week in lab, but like I was working with other people or passing things off or on. And, and so one of the things I'm really worried about, <laughs> and this is gonna sound so stupid, is maintaining a lab book. Mm -hmm. because Continuity. like in three years i'm going to be able to look back at the things i'm currently doing and understand my notes and and be able to find all of the things that i put away and uh, yeah and that's just you know it's just a recipe for disaster <laughs> <laughs> like and, and and i'm not saying that like and obviously, no matter what I do, I'm going to have problems. Like, that's science, you know? <laughs> They're going to be unexpected. Yeah. yeah. But I'm trying to – I'm so I'm really trying to put some really solid habits in place right now mm -hmm. um, that will help me. 
Um, but I don't know if they'll all be helpful or useful or if I'll keep doing them. And when I'm really in my experiments, like, am I going to want to do it? I don't know. And, and so I, I think my biggest like challenge, which is really just like a fear mm. is like how to make it so that I'll, I don't have to redo experiments because I didn't keep good enough notes. Whatever notes I take have to be sufficient and they have to be sufficient for somebody else too. And and that's like something I'm I'm really I'm really struggling with. Yes. So my biggest challenge is my notes, and my second biggest fear is like someone coming in and being like, "You have to change this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is kind of an existential threat. Like, oh, and I mean, this is this is the true truth with any work you do. It's like, oh, will I be able to understand my code in a week, let alone a day? Will I understand what I did? Remember what I did? You know? Yeah. In a month, probably not. All right, how do I guarantee? Like, because because you can go overboard, right? You can write down too much and have an unreasonable expectation for how much information you're writing down, and then you just don't. You, that falls out of habit, and then you don't have anything, right? right? So finding the happy medium. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have to develop your own world of how you're doing your analysis, how you're organizing your life, because not only is the science different for everybody, but right? Our minds work in different ways. I think that's one of the biggest challenges of science, right? Is figuring out how best you work and not just like, oh, when am I going to get this paper done? But you have to construct this whole world of like scientific rigor because we're taught the scientific method like in elementary school or whatever, but to actually kind of what we were talking about at the beginning, like having the confidence that, oh, I've, I know what this conclusion isn't, right? I've, 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 I've removed everything that it could not be and I'm left with something. And if there's any sliver of doubt in my mind that like, oh, this, I might've done this one thing wrong because I didn't write it down. I don't know what I did. Then it's gone, right? Yep. It's completely moved. That, that yep. conclusion might as well not exist anymore because you have this tiny sliver of doubt. And so it's like building these structures to be able to be confident in your conclusions. Yeah. And <laughs> I think at this point in our career, confident in ourselves. I don't know. I'm still having a lot of trouble. I like, no confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm still struggling with like segregating my ideas for my self-esteem. Yeah. You know, because we're so like welded to the success of our science and the success of our ideas think we'll get better at that as we fail more and more and realize that we survive after but yeah. um <laughs> well i've been very fortunate that by the end of my first year of grad school mm-hmm. i had been in eight labs Christ. which is an absurd number no one else should do that actually you should do that it's great um but one of the things we'll that's get really... to the advice section in a <laughs> bit but <laughs> one of the things that's really good about that is um like because I had been in so many different labs. I have seen so many different styles, what works and what doesn't work. I've seen really, 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 really strong people like break down in tears and you're like, okay, like it happens to all of us. Um, But also like, as we were talking about with the lab notes and with the confidence thing, like I've seen eight different labs versions of what each of those things should look like. Yeah. And and they're and every and each person in those labs does it differently. And what you have to do because of the lab ideas and and you know and there's some there's some labs that 
you present and everyone's like, yeah, that's great. Awesome. Wonderful. Like, good job. Mm -hmm. And you leave feeling very confident. And then you go to your scientific meeting and someone like tears you down like immediately on your second slide. (laughs) And you're like, and like, I saw this happen once and I was like, but but like and i was like and i've seen other lab meetings where like your your lab tears you apart and you're like and you leave feeling like i'm the biggest idiot that ever walked this earth yeah and then you go to that scientific meeting and everyone's just like oh my god this is amazing and you're like oh wow my lab was doing this that i could succeed (laughs) but like it doesn't feel good (laughs) yeah and so like at that once again like that balance of your confidence, how you're tying that to your ideas, and even like the mm-hmm. environment that you're in and how the, it's contributing to each of those is so important. Yeah. Which is why finding the right lab is like finding the right partner. Like, yeah. Like, you can break up with your romantic partner if things are going really terribly. Like, yes. a couple of years in, I feel like it's a lot tougher to leave a lab. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> and, and, and let me tell you, I got found by a professor once sobbing in a stairwell and she was like, okay. And she like took me into her lab and like gave me chocolate and like talked out with me. Like, what was I feel Like, why was I so upset? Yeah. And okay. There seems like there's two problems here and one of these is fixable and one of them isn't. And yeah. so, and at by the end of it, like she was really, professor Cram was like, like if I can be a f- fraction of what she is, yeah. Like, I will have succeeded in my life. <laughs> I like I I love her. I think she's amazing. Yeah. I think she is also one of the reasons why I am in biology. Um, wow. I mean, I was like my freshman year of college. I was like, I'm quitting biology. I'm never gonna do this again. I hate everything and i just feel like an idiot all of the time one of the things that's important to remember in grad school is like picking a mentor is really important and finding that lab and getting all that and that environment is all really important but at the end of the day you can leave yeah like people change labs people change schools people like people switch programs people switch projects it's yeah it's possible and i think that that is something that is weirdly comforting to me as i'm going mm. through everything and i love everything i'm doing oh of course and like never want to leave but like knowing that yeah i'm signed up for this project for five years but like if i'm absolutely miserable cliff would let me move to a different project you know and and, and cliff would help me match up with somebody if i really felt like i had to change yeah. and like i found the right environment and hopefully it's going to stay the right environment. But I think, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm one of those people who, who gets comfort from being like, okay, but I could leave. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten out. Yeah. Well, you're fle- yeah, you can be flexible, right? Um, you can but yes, it's no, it's far easier to break up. With- <laughs> so, like, looking back, I guess, uh, like, what would you tell your, like, younger self to do differently? Taking advantage of the opportunities that were presented to me was essential to getting me where I needed to go. And and that meant that I spent a lot of time not in Boston with my friends. I moved every four to six months for five years. Oh, my God. And, and I mean, so then do you think that's something that you wouldn't do? But at the same time, I feel like take advantage of every opportunity you have because 
it's six months. Like, right. right. if you hate it, now you know, and you're not there for a decade. Like, yeah. you... Like being able to being able to try things is really important, and I learned very quickly what I didn't want to do. Yep. And I think if you're younger in undergrad, like do a summer internship, do multiple, join yeah. the research lab, like go and and you know, and do what I did, which was just straight up like email the professor until they respond, and just keep saying in your email just following up so that they know that like this is your 19th email and you are going to respond to me damn it <laughs> but at the same time like i feel like and i when i was in germany and when i was in um at northeastern and when i like when i was at pfizer like what i did is i said okay i've finished my work and mm -hmm. it's five o'clock yeah because i got to work at you know six o'clock in the morning um and, and you know and it's five o'clock but that person's doing something that I think is interesting. Yeah. And I'm going to shadow them for an hour. You know, you always hear the like show up first, leave last if you really want to do something mm -hmm. like type of thing. And I, and I think that at the same time, you should make sure you have a work life balance. Like that is Don't burn out. super, super, super important. Yeah. But figuring out what you want to do or what you don't want to do is, is going to make such an impact. One of the things that I always like to do is I like to give myself something that's not science to do. So I, like, I run in the mornings. I think that having like a physical outlet is really good for me. Um, I like have some really great friends here and having a support system is so important. Yes. Um, I have a friend that's going to grad school this year um, from undergrad and I like I gave him my like I was like, here's my five pieces of advice of going to grad school. OK, Can you listen to this, everybody. Right? One. It's okay to try something new. Do it during your rotations. <laughs> yep. Two, classes are going to suck. They suck for everybody. Make a study group. Three, find a support network doing something that's not science. So mm -hmm. if that's a running group, if that's, you know, a knitting club, I'm in a knitting club. If that's movie night, I also do movie night. Um, like those are all things that like are great and that's different than your study group for classes because you want to have your friends in your classes, but you also want to like talk about things that are not classes oh, God, yeah. and having that support network is going to be really important because grad school sucks. <laughs> like it's amazing, but it sucks. It's worth it though. It's yeah, worth it. no, it's great. Mm -hmm. Um, so as I say, so then after you like have your kind of support network, like you've tried something new, you're like mm -hmm. suffering through your classes. Um, it's really important uh, to get therapy <laughs> because no matter how important and how supportive your support network of your friends and peers are, mm -hmm. having a professional there is really important um, and they can help with things that you might not necessarily want to bring up with your friends or they can just be an objective third party or, and I just started therapy for the first time in my life this year. And, um, I was always like, like, this is a problem, but I'm fine. And now I'm <laughs> like, okay, like this might be a problem and it might not be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that, um, and I think that 
finding a therapist is similar to finding a PI or a relationship, yes. um, you're going to have to try a few people. And But I think getting it set up right when you get to grad school is really important. And that's what I told my friend to do. I can't, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. Therapy is one of the most valuable tools you have in graduate school. And it is, it doesn't replace or uh, substitute any other part of your support network. It's, it, it's an essential part that's yeah. like categorically different and unique and useful. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Number five. And number five is to use all of the resources available to you. And that sounds really vague, but what I'm saying is like, there's a lot of ways that you got to where you are by being independent. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the hardest things when you go to grad school is realizing that you don't have to be. Yeah. And that you can have a support network, go to therapy, use all the resources available to you and be infinitely happier. Not only happier, but more successful. Yes. Right? That your science will be better. You'll live a happier life if you don't isolate yourself. Yeah. No man is an island, right? Yeah. Every, in order to do your best work and live your best life, it means engaging with other people around you and asking for help consistently and drawing on resources. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think that's probably a good place to stop. Grace, thank you for being on Science and Feelings. Thank <laughs> you.